Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever time you're watching. It's your boy Eric Dijamani from BombMob.com, the Netflix of Beats. Don't buy your beats, just download them from us. And today I got my homie Robin Marks with me. So shout out Robin Marks and shout out Lee for, uh, actually shout out Mini Money for hooking us up. Uh, this man has been doing some great things on social media, Instagram. So if you could please welcome my boy. And Robin, why don't you actually give us a little bit of a framework of what you're doing on Instagram? Tell us a little bit about yourself, a little background. Yep, yep. Uh, first of all, you know, E, thank you so much for bringing me on. And like you, you know, said, like we connected through Midi Money. And sure. Lee, me, you, and Lee connected outside of that. You know what I'm saying? So you had connected with Lee. I had connected with Lee as well. And then we kind of got all brought together. So it was really cool to see a group thread and I was like, wait a minute, like I already know people in here. So right, I, I'm right. just really humbled and happy to be connecting with guys like you and Lee. Um, so a little bit about myself. Um, I started off as an MC. I started rapping at nine years old um, in New York City in the late 80s, early 90s. You know what I'm saying? And as I progressed, you know, I got serious about my career. When other people were putting in college applications, I was send, sending my demo tapes out to record labels, you know? Um, after I graduated from high school, I, I, I moved to Staten Island to join the Wu-Tang Clan, which is a crazy story. I was roommates with Capadonna uh, for oh, about, uh, about six months, you know, um, hanging out with him, just pursuing my dream and made some mistakes and made me kind of reevaluate and take my butt back home. After that, I still did music. Um, I was active in the Orlando hip hop scene for a number of years, worked with DJ Nasty and DJ Pro Styles. Um, and then, you know, in my adulthood, I started traveling and doing music in Europe, doing a lot of shows in Europe. And when I did that, I felt like I wanted to do more. So there was a company that I was working with at the time called End of the Week. And I ended up taking that concept of the longest uh, running open mic in New York City, End of the Week, to the European market. So I set up chapters in Germany, I set up chapters in um, France, I set up chapters in the Netherlands and Spain. And today we're a global movement with uh, chapters in over 15 countries. And that's kind of where I started. Now about um, 10 years ago when my son was born, I had this reckoning where I had to decide on, hey, should I keep pursuing this dream and barely get by? Or should I maybe settle down and just try to find a job? So I settled in into the nonprofit field. Uh, I rose to be a senior program director at a, one of the largest nonprofits in the country. And I served over 3,000 kids every year through youth development. So it was a really satisfying you know, um, career that I chose, but there was still something eating away at me. It was so, still something missing. And I had a hunger and an urge to create. So my wife came home with a iPad one Christmas um, and I kind of tinkered around with it doo -doo 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 -doo, just kind of making some beats on GarageBand and before I knew it I had upgraded to Logic I had um, went out and got a MacBook Pro I started grabbing plugins and equipment five years later I, you know I'm you know a producer and I'm connecting with artists from all over the world uh, through MIDI money I've built a profitable business of selling my beats and in terms of what I'm doing on Instagram it's really just offering value to my community I'm building a, a community of artists producers um, and creators just making sure that anything that I learn or I any kind of resource that I obtain I share that with them on social media which has been really really uh, beneficial to my business but also for me as a creator bro that's uh that's Bro, that, you said a lot right there, man. That's a lot of crazy stuff, man. And um, that 
just the fact that you went through so much, you know, you you pivoted so many times is just crazy. And I feel like every creative goes through that. I feel like every creative could probably resonate with that. Um, talk about like when you were first coming up, you said you were doing shows at nine. You said nine years old. No, I, I started rapping at nine years old. Rap? So Okay, okay. Yeah. So, so, you know, I go ahead. Yeah. So when did you start performing, start doing shows? When did that come around? Yep. So my first show, like booked for a show, I was 15 years old. It was in New Bern, North Carolina um, at, a, at a local club. It was a daytime show because, you know, kids were performing and stuff. There was probably like seven people in a crowd. Half of them were my family. The other half were the other performers' family. And that was <laughs> yeah, my yeah. first taste. The person who organized the show was actually like a lo local manager. So he had somehow got his hands on some, some BMI paperwork. So it was like, I guess he was starting his publishing company and he was trying to sign artists. So I remember like it was yesterday, we was like, yo, we got the deal. Yo, we, yo, we about to sign this deal with BMI because we didn't know we were 15 years old. Yeah, so that yeah. was the first time I actually got on stage um, as a performer. Okay, cool, cool. So what happened with that dude? Like, did you end up uh, reaching out to him, connecting with him any further or what happened with nah, that? No, nothing happened with that. Uh, if I remember correctly, when we brought the paperwork home, my parents like looked it over and it was like, there's no way you're signing that. Like just do the shows. You're not signing any paperwork. You're too young right now when you're older. Gotcha. So I'm glad we didn't. Cause most likely I would have been locked into some random publishing deal with some show promoter. Right. Right. All right. That makes complete sense. Did you ever end up uh, signing to anyone throughout your hip hop career or not? Nah? Well, I did sign with an independent label. I, I never signed a major deal, but I did sign okay. with a, um, Two, two deals, actually. One deal was with a company called Window Gunette. I was a part of a band called Funk Addiction pretty much in the early 2010s. You know, we did a lot of touring all over Europe, um, mainly in France, though. Uh, you know, one of my greatest experiences as a, as a performer, we like rocked at a beach festival and it was literally on the beach and the sun was like going down while oh, we were great. like rocking the show. So it's like I had some really great memories with those guys. Um, and I also signed a deal with a, a company called It Boys, which was more of a hip hop video production company in um, France as well. And we actually had one of our um, film slash soundtracks featured in the Cannes Film Festival, which was a big deal for me at the time. Um, so I've had some um, you know, deals with independent companies, but I've never signed a major deal. Okay, that, that's huge. Well what were the like the terms and stipulations of that indie deal? And do you recommend like artists signing any deals right out the gate or how do you recommend artists go about that? Yep. So for both of my deals, they were partnership deals. So they they weren't um me going on as an artist, they were me going on as a um co-owner, um, you know, contributing entity. So okay. for for the It Boys deal, we had three major pieces. Uh, shout out my man Ensign and my man Nino. And we really split it 33.3 all the way around. And then for Wendell Gunnett, um, it was a similar, you know, structure. Okay. So okay. do I recommend it? I definitely, if artists um, are dealing with people that they feel comfortable with, and also there are no long-term commitments um, or restrictions, I you know, I encourage artists to do that because I'd rather like have 33.3% 3 
of something than, you know, 33.3% or 100% of nothing, right? So it's right. important for people to like be open with creating with people and letting go a little bit to make those connections. Right, yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely a hard thing to let go of all all that pie, you know what I mean? Like, I think a lot of people like to, especially, you know, new rappers, they like to take the whole pie and it's like, you know, it's a lot easier to be profitable or make a little money when you're taking a little sliver of some. Uh, talk about like your creative process. What are you doing right now? Um, I know you're doing a lot of the production stuff. How are you going about that? How are you linking with new artists? How are you even starting to make beats? Like you're saying you mess around with the you were messing around with the garage band on the iPad, but what's your creative process? How do you get your inspiration? How do you do you like copy beats and try to make them your own? Like how do you do that? I'm so glad you asked me that question because you know, no one's asked me that question in a while. Uh, and, I'm, <laughs> and, I, and and it helps me to kind of step back and have that self-awareness to be like, I do have a process, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. So I'll start by saying that I, I study a lot of other producers to see what other people do, right? And kind of find, I found what was good for me. And there's really two big buckets of my creative process and my workflow. The first creative process is if I'm creating for me. If I'm creating for me, I just turn on the computer. I typically have a preset of some like drum sounds that are already in there. I usually okay. start with my drums. Um, I don't really work off of a metronome anymore. I just, I go straight to like, uh, you know, writing in my, my hi-hats, a simple hi-hat pattern, and then I build around that. And for me lately, what I've been really drawn to is pulling sounds um, from, a variety of different plugins. One in particular, my, my brother gave me from Arturia, my brother, Vinyl Rich, Yo Vinyl, shout out to him. He's also a producer and DJ. Um, uh, it, it's Pigments, you know, it's called Pigments and it's like blowing my mind. It's really like granular synthesis. It's like super like nerdy producer stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, and for yeah. me, like yeah. I'm not the most nerdy producer, but that stuff kind of resonates with me as an MC and as like an artist. So I've really been like making some drums, no 808, just, just straight drums, kick, snare, mm. bass, maybe some percussion, some various percussions. And then I go play around with that. Once I do that, then I'll maybe go to Splice or I recently had a, um, a subscription for Arcade. Okay. Um, and I maybe pull some like, you know, some ear candy on on with those. And then I'm usually done. You know, my, my, my process is really simple when I'm creating for myself. The second bucket of my creative process is when I'm creating a customized um, piece of work for a client. And that's a whole different process. That requires me most times, I'll get on a call with them or Zoom and we'll sit down. I'll pull up my my um, files will go through preview sounds together, talk about the direction. I tell them that I really like words that, um, you know, adjectives and also, um, you know, words that describe feelings and also colors, you know, because for me, the way my mind works, when I think red, I think hard and angry. When I think purple or turquoise, I think fun and happy. So I always tell my clients, like, give me some colors of what you want this to look like if the, if the sound was, if it was a visual sound, you know? Um, and then from there, I just pull everything that I have in terms of like, I'll throw the kitchen sink at it. So I'll go to Splice, <laughs> I'll go to Arcade, I'll go to all of my, my plugins. I use um, uh, Heat Up 3, which is a, a, a plugin that I really like from initial audio. Um, I also, 
I have the whole isotope, everything isotope over here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I use Great a lot plugins. of their great plugins you know um also waves i use a lot of waves plugins you know so those are really my two creative processes um and of the two i i enjoy actually creating for the client more than myself because it tests me and pushes me creatively it's a lot easier for me to be like oh that's dope i like it it's a little different when i'm including another creative in the process no doubt no doubt i actually want to talk a little bit more about that how do you uh filter out who you're working with and who you're not like I, I don't, me personally, like, I don't take on every client that, you know, will come to me um, just because I know I can't or I won't work well with this person. Do you feel the same way or do you have like a filtering process you use? How do you, how do you do that? How do you go about yep. that? That's a great question. Um, I would say we talked about it in one of our clubhouse meetings recently about, you know, the energy and trusting your gut with someone. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of, that's kind of what I do. And, and, you know, knock on wood, since I've been on this journey, especially the journey of focusing on the customized beats and building those kind of relationships with artists, I've only had one situation where I had to tell a person, you know what, you could keep your money, I don't think will be a good fit. And, you know, I'll, I'll share a little bit of the story. Basically, it was like, um, I, I use um, Hit em Up for my text community. So that's the app that I use. It's similar to community, but a little like rawer and cheaper, right? So I, I'm, I email, I text my people all the time, maybe a couple of times a week. And this one guy was like, hey, psh, man, thanks. This is super valuable. Yo, I'm, I'm ready to do that beat with you. Okay, cool. Let's do this beat. Here's the price. Great, great, great. A couple of days go by and he responded to me with a message like, yo, why do producers overcharge for their beats? And then we got into like a back and forth about, you know, how that's really case sensitive, you know, subjective, uh, you know, questions like I like right. my beat that's worth two thousand dollars might be worth a hundred dollars to someone else. But it's my beat. You know what I'm saying? So I could actually, you know, put the price tag on it and I have the right, right to do that. Right. And right. He, we kept going back and forth. And I thought for some reason, like me being, I guess, wanting to see the good in people. I didn't think he was like talking about me. I thought he was just asking me a question, honestly. <laughs> but your man really had ended his last his last message with me or the message that pushed me over the edge, I, sh I should say, E, was like, well, I'll do this one with you because I said that I was going to do it with you and I'll oh, keep my no. word. But after that, I don't know if I can pay that amount. And I, was, and, I and I stood back. And for me, I always tell my kids, and this is something that I learned from my mentors, you know, when emotions are high, intelligence is low. Right. Yep. So I was yep. pissed and I was like, this, I, like, and I took a step back. I gave it a couple of minutes and then I just responded calmly. You know what? Thank you so much for the opportunity, but I honestly don't think that we'll be a good fit for, for each other. And, you know, hopefully you'll find a beat that you need. And that was it. I never talked to the kid. I removed him from all of my stuff because I didn't want to yeah. see him anymore. Yeah. But just, should, one, just one time it happened. So I, I don't really have any filters besides letting the relationships uh, develop naturally and organically. If there's like any red flags, like I had with that guy, then I'll have to pull it in the plug again, knock on wood only happened once. All right, man. I, I completely resonate with that. And I feel like, um, a lot of, I, I mean, I've been that person too myself. I'm not gonna lie. I've been that person that's like, yo, I feel like I'm paying too much for something and it never, it's not even something that I really want. Like, I feel like a lot of times rappers might go into buying a beat 
that they don't even really are serious about. You know what I mean? I don't know if I'm putting that into context correctly, but I feel like some people just aren't in the market for buying beats because they don't realize how expensive they could be. And I feel like that is always set up for disappointment when you're buying something that you're not truly invested in, if that makes any sense. And I'm no, glad I that agree. You, yeah, I'm glad that you took that. Like, I feel like that's what everyone should do. And if you're an artist and you feel like, uh, you know, you're getting overcharged or you're getting scammed or whatever, you should cut it out immediately. Like, I don't think that that dude should have continued going with that. But I mean, I'm glad that you shared that story. But I want to talk a little bit about... Um, what like the future of Robin Marks is. So right now you're at a non, you're still at the nonprofit, right? You're still doing that? No, I resigned from that. I recently, oh. um, I resigned from that position after 10 years in uh, October, 2020, uh, because me and my family relocated from New York City to Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So what's the future of Robin Marks? Like, are you doing music full time or what, what are you doing right now to kind of hold the fort down? Yep. So I would say that COVID-19 and the pandemic, you know, kind of changed a lot of things for me and my family. I know we've been having a lot of talks, you and I and, and Lee and people in our group about like taking a break from social media. Yeah. And in December of 2020, we had a, um, a, a health scare here in the house, you know, with a, oh, a few shit. of the family members. So it was a quite urgent situation. Um hospitalizations were involved, everything, you know what I'm saying? And I, I was off, I was off the grid for five weeks, like literally like my phone is like, I'm not even thinking about that right now. Yeah, so yeah. that experience coupled with our relocation has put things into perspective for me creatively, um, as well as, you know, business-wise, you know, as a businessman. So in 2021, it's really continuing to work on the things that I was building in 2019 and 2020 with my beat selling business, but also just um, making sure that my kids are taken care of while we're in this pandemic. So I'm at home with my my daughter in the mornings, like, you know, you hear in the background sometimes. Yeah. So yeah. I'm I'm not a, a, a trained school teacher, but I definitely give her her education all morning up until about, you know, one or two o'clock. Uh, so that's like my most important job right now. And then okay. after that is really um, sustaining and then trying to grow what uh, I've been building with Robin Marks Creations with my exclusive beats, also my beat packs, and also doing a little bit of coaching as well. Okay, got you, got you. So like down the road, you know, let's say the kids are out of the house, whatever. Um, and you know, you're, it's just you. Uh, what do you feel like you'll be doing? Is it going to be, you know, artist development? Is it going to be just producing beats kind of full time? Like, how do you see that like 10 years down the road? And how do you see yourself facilitating that? Yep. So for me, I, I, I believe that my, um, my experience working as a senior level director um, for one of the largest nonprofits in the country is super valuable. And sure. I don't know how right now I'm going to incorporate it into what I'm doing or if it's going to be two separate entities, but I do see myself um, in the next year or two getting back into the space. I don't know if it's me starting my own nonprofit or if it's me partnering with someone or if it's me going back into the workforce, but I know that that, that um, work experience is super valuable and I can't just leave it uh, without, you know, doing something with it. In terms of music, I would say that 
like my dream for music would be able to produce from home, work with artists digitally, remotely, and mix their projects, send them back, and have strong relationships with artists that I build chemistry with and, you know, charge them reasonable fees to do the work. So that would, if I could, you know, uh, make a few thousand dollars a month doing that and be happy with, you know, creating, I would be content with, you know, that, like, I'm not really trying to like get a record deal or start like put out, like get the number one hit and all of that. I'm really trying to have uh, a connection with an artist that will be a voice that will impact people and have some kind of um, influence in the world, but also make sure that I'm satisfied creatively. You know what I'm saying? So in terms of like money, like we're okay. We just bought a home. The kids have everything they need. I think at this point, it's about justifying the time that I commit to this. So I can't be, you know, willy nilly making beats when, you know, my kids have, uh, you know, need help with their homework or whatever it is, or we have bills. So if the, the, the music can cover the cost of operating the business, but also have some profit, you know what I'm saying? Then that's kind of the, the dream for me to be able to be the dad, be the, uh, the, the nonprofit professional, but also have that creative release and be able to be compensated for it, you know, to some extent. Sure, man. That's huge, man. I feel like um, I kind of want to get your opinion on this. Like you have all this stuff going on, like you have the kids and everything. How are you, how are you making that time to, uh, you know, be this guy that you're trying to be, this creative that has that release? You know, a lot of dudes, a lot of girls will be, you know, working, you know, like 10, 15 hours a day. You know, I'm sure you're hella, I mean, I know you're hella busy with everything. How are you um, making that time? Is it, you know, when your kids are asleep? Like, when do you find the time to make those beats? Yep. So I have office hours. My office hours um, start at about 10.30 p.m. Like, okay. that's sitting in front of the computer, ready to do my work. So I've been doing, since 2021, started a new thing to my business called virtual listening sessions. So I'm doing you know, free listening sessions for people who want to like meet up with me online. I have a slot every day at 1030 where people can fill it up and um, we can meet. We preview um, existing unreleased beats. We also preview some beats that might be out in the world. And then also at the end, I usually share some um, samples that I maybe gathered that based on their interest from a survey that they do, I'll create you know, specifically for them. So it creates a unique connection. And honestly, like, like literally every time I have one, like the, the people purchase because I believe it's a unique experience for them. And also producers aren't doing that with people right now. You know, I think right. what, what's happening, you know, people are like putting their beats online, you buy the beat and that's it kind of thing. I know you're really good with the community aspect of connecting with your uh, customers and your, you know, subscribers via text and stuff. And that's the kind of wave we're on. You know what I'm saying? We're about connecting with people on a higher level. So every night I, I try to book one of those, but um, in terms of finding spare time, my, my family is super understanding. If I have something coming up that I need to do, um, they are super flexible and understanding. So they'll give me the room that I need to step away if I need to like do this interview, stuff like that. 
Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So do you feel like your career kind of shifted? I don't know if you've always had this mindset, but I definitely did. When you realize like, yo, I need to be more in tune with who I'm reaching out to. Like for me personally, like I started giving out my personal phone number to a lot of artists that I work with. And that kind of not only did it bring more profit to me or more money, but it also just gave me an actual like purpose to serve. You know what I mean? Do you feel like you had that revelation in your own career at one point? And if so, you want to talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Um, like you, it, it was the same way with me. Um, so the people in my text network uh, have my phone number. It's connected. So, you know, it's about, I want to say a little over 200 domestic people and then maybe another 100 international people. So, um, and, you know, if, if people don't have the, the funds to like sign up for community, it, hit them up is a really good option. Again, it's just a lot it's it's raw, you know what I'm saying, in terms of the yeah. functions of it. But yeah, I think the connections with people like that is what it's about. I think um, transactional, you know, relationships is one thing. But like when you have like an interaction with someone, like, for example, I'm not going to say his name, but one of my guys right now um, who has purchased a bunch of, um, you know, products from me and services from me, he's in a hospital right now. So, you know, I texted him out of the blue, you know, with one of my blasts and he responded, yeah, I'm in the hospital with pneumonia. So what do I do? Not only do I like follow up with him, like, oh, I hope you get better. But then a couple of days later, I'm going to do the same thing. And a couple of days later, I'm going to do the same thing. I might send him a video message. And I think like that's that's what people remember. And it's not being cheesy and it's not being insincere. It's being real. Like I'm I'm a good guy. I'm not out here trying to like get people's money. I'm out here trying to serve people. The, the money is a byproduct of the service and that's okay. You know what I'm saying? And I believe that my old way of thinking, E, honestly, was a, a mindset of scarcity where when I first started producing and selling beats, I wasn't trying to have like, you wouldn't have been a, my friend on Instagram. I yep. wouldn't have had a, I wouldn't have had another producer because <laughs> I would be scared that you would come in, look at all my friends and start selling them beats. Now in 2021, after all of my training and, you know, the mentorship that I received from um, Adrian and Gabe and also collaborating with other producers like you and Lee, it's like, like, why? Like, it's okay for, like, I got beats on your website right now. You know what I'm saying? Yes, so yes, for me, it's not, it's not about like keep having a scarcity mindset. So for me, I, I agree with you. And I believe that's the way business will be um, conducted you know, especially after this pandemic moving forward, it's going to be interactions like this. I agree completely. I think that, and I, first of all, I just want to say that's huge that you're reaching out to your boy in the hospital, like you're sending him video messages and shit. And I think if you're a producer watching this, you need to be doing exactly that with your artists. Like if you have 10 really close artists, I think that that's a lot more powerful than having, you know, a bunch of, you know, one timers here and there, because you can't really build with just, you know, transactional, relationships like you're saying i think that's huge that you're reaching out sending video messages and i encourage artists to also do the same with producers you know just to build that relationship and foster that relationship even further but i do notice that before like once i made that switch from i guess transactional to kind of personal relationships i uh at first initially like i kind of became this person that um, and I'm still kind of getting out of this person, but I kind of became this person that wasn't 
sincere. I, I, yeah. I thought I was this person that was like, I had this like imposter syndrome, if that makes sense. Like mm -hmm. I had, I was, you know, um, I was kind and I'll be straight up. Like this was, this was probably a little over a year ago, but I would use marketing. I would use marketing to the nth degree to kind of get sales, even if my marketing wasn't ethical, if that makes mm. sense. Mm -hmm. and I was just focused on the sale, right? Like I was just so focused on that. Do you feel like you had that? Have you ever dealt with that? And do you feel like, um, do you have any advice for people that are trying to get away from that? Because it's really hard. Like when you have numbers coming in, when you have sales coming in, it's kind of hard not to be that person. In my opinion, how do you get away from that? And like, what's your advice for people, you know, trying to really build that personal person, I guess, you know what I mean? Yep. My first bit of advice, this is for producers, artists, singers, you know, any creator, right? A creator that's trying to take the thing that they love and turn it into a revenue stream or a job, right? Or their career. I would say that if your um, current financial situation does not satisfy the needs of your life, minus music, right? Let's not even include music. Like your job at Barnes and Nobles, if you work at Barnes and Nobles, if that does not, like if you're not good with that and then you're trying to bring music in to make music the thing, I would try to make sure you carefully balance the two. Reason being is, and this is from experience, sometimes as dreamers, we push all of our chips to the middle of the table. And we know that the universe will reward us for that act of pushing our chips to the table. I have to succeed. For me, it was a plan A, there was no plan B. And that's what I did. This led to me learning the hard way that if you have not already built up a sustainable income from your music, that trying to do it, hustle your way to it is just really hard. I'm from the era of selling CDs in front of fat beats. You know, big shout out to Percy P from the West Coast. Big shout out to Jenny MC, formerly of Rough Riders. We will all be out there in front of Fat Beat selling CDs to people to like get money to eat. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I would say to any artist who is like feeling like that, with their, whether they're trying to sell their beats or whether they're with an artist, I don't know, what are you trying to sell? Are you trying to sell streams? Are you trying to sell CDs, T-shirts? You know, whatever the product is that you're moving, if you're relying on that to put money in your pocket, you should try to balance that out by trying to find a more consistent, um, you know, income. And that's what most of the greats have had to do. So that's the first bit of advice is like, make sure you balance your finances. Don't rely on something that hasn't started yet. Now, once you get to that point where you have either a sustainable income that can cover your, your, your living expenses, you know, some people have different situations. Some people have a roommate situation. Some people live on their own. Some people live with their folks, whatever your situation is. If that, there's a number that you need to pay for your phone, to make sure you got your food, to take your girl or your man out to get something to eat right? And you're making that with your music, then the hustle mind state, you, I would maybe fall back a little bit and focus on a relationship building because the, the relationship building is compounded results. It's not something that's like, yo, you didn't buy from me. All right, bye. No, 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 no. <laughs> what, I, what, what I 
urge people to do, what I urge people to do is when they say no, it's not them saying, no, I don't want to do it. It's saying, no, I don't know enough. So what do I do? I just give them and educate them. And that's free. So if you get their email list, if you get their email on your email list, consider that a small win. It's not a finance, it's not financial gain, but it's still gain, right? It's a, it's a, it's a result of an earning, you know what I'm saying? Something that you're getting from it. So you keep pounding them with value. Hey, here's another free thing. Here's another free thing. One or two things is going to happen. They're either going to get sick of you and unsubscribe, which is great if you want to do that. Or secondly, they're going to say, you know what, let me just buy this thing because I, I believe in this guy. They're not buying the thing because they think you got the hottest beats or you got the hottest rhymes. Everybody got the hottest beats and the hottest rhymes. Right. If they're about something, they're buying you. They're buying into you and you, what you stand for. Right, right. And I feel like it definitely takes a little bit of time to cultivate that personality, especially if you're doing it online. Like, how long do you think it took you to really cultivate who you are right now? How long have you been doing the online thing for? Yep. Um. Uh, so I started making beats, I want to say five years ago. I didn't start selling beats until July, I want to say July 3rd, 2019. So I just been oh, doing wow. it for about right. a year, maybe almost two years going on two years. And honestly, when I first did it, um, it was because I was trying desperately eat. This is me speaking like a hundred percent candidly with you for the first part of 2019, I was like, okay, this is it. People are saying my beats are dope. I'm going to ask some rappers to get on my beats. So what did I do? I'm an MC from a, uh, the New York City underground. I started reaching out from to people that I knew. I couldn't even get them to rock on the beats. They was like, okay, well, I, I, cool. Thanks. Send it over. One of my guys, big shout out to Dayton, who's a, 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 a big, big time artist in the Christian hip hop world. He said, yes, I'll take one of your beats. Um, when I, when I reached out to him and then he recorded on it a year later, but still we have that relationship, but I couldn't get, I couldn't pay people to get on my beats. I was like, <laughs> what's up? So then I said, let me reach out to strangers. So I went on Instagram and I was like DMing people like, Hey, your track is dope. Listen, I was just, I'm just trying to get some, um, placements. I, I, like, do you want to listen to some of my beats? And people would be like, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. Maybe I'll do it. And I remember being like, this is crazy. I was like, are they whack? So I kept going back more plugins, more practice, more videos, Andrew Wong, DJ Payne, Curtis King, you know, whoever learning trying to like get better at my craft and then yeah. finally i was like bump it forget it i'm gonna ask somebody if they want to buy it so i started targeting um people in other countries you know because me as a new yorker i figured well maybe they would want to buy a beat from a new york producer you know what i'm saying so i started reaching out for, to people in different countries i swear to you i'd have to go back and look to, uh, to get the exact data, but I'm going to say after my fifth pitch, I had a sale, $100, bam, done, sent the, sent the money over right then and there. And I was like, okay, let me keep doing that. Kept doing it the first month selling beats. I probably made $1,200 in the first meet, Damn, in the first month, that's, right? That's fire, bro. So right then I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, and, and if any producers out there, if you, if, if you, have sold a beat you know that feeling right that, yeah that the, the, the paypal comes in like you remember you remember it like it's yesterday and you're like yo i did that this this yeah. stuff i me dilly dallying on the on the machine on the internet machine got me to give somebody to give me some money so for me i think the the journey until i got into midi money 
I didn't understand the the long-term game of of building community. I was at the moment just like you. I was like, oh, what, you want to be? Oh, you don't want to be? Bye. Like, boom, I'm not, don't, don't sign up for an email list because I don't have one. Bye. You know, um, <laughs> and then I stumbled on one of Gabe's videos. I believe he was interviewing with Producer Grind or he was interviewing with uh, Somatics or somebody like that. And I saw his interview and I remember being like, and I just went in and studied him. I did my own version of the funnel. I taped it together with duct tape and just tried to do it on my own. And it failed miserably. I got like 600 subscribers from Madagascar. I didn't know about targeting. I was oh, just shit. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just a hot mess, right? Yeah. Um, and then when I found out that he had a group, I just wish I was in there earlier. So I could have got locked into that, um, that uh, ClickFunnels discount rate. But um, yeah, I, 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 as soon as I found out about the course, I took the free course and I said, you know what? Like, I got to make a decision if I'm going to put up this money to because I believe in this thing. And I did it. Yeah, man. I mean, I feel you. I feel you on every aspect of what you just said. I feel like the where you where you reached out to other countries. I feel like that's a huge gem right there. And I don't think enough people on both sides, artists and producers, even think of that. Um, for me, I know one of my old roommates, he told me like one of his favorite artists is like based, um, he's based in the U S but he markets all his music to Vietnamese people just because Vietnamese people like resonate with that. So if you were like a producer, you might even want to think about just going to Europe or I don't know which countries you reached out to, but going to, uh, France, going to Europe, going to whatever, and uh reaching out to people in different countries that's huge like i never actually heard that so that's a huge gem right there um do you feel like the uh what would you call it you, you had that that little uh end of the week right it was called end of the week you had that going on in france do you feel like that helped you make a little bit more connections out in europe to kind of sell beats that way have, have you used any of those connections to f- facilitate like beat sales or artist connections yep um, quickly before we leave the countries, just, I want to make sure I offer your community value because I know you got a lot of producers who listen to this. The countries that I would recommend targeting are the English speaking countries with oh, okay. you think would go without saying, but sometimes we cast such a wide net that it's not, uh, it's, it's just not realistic. Like you don't want to yeah. be trying to like sell beats in a Ukraine you know, if you don't speak their language. So unless you're fluent, if you're fluent in a language, that's where I would focus on because then it's like, oh, you live in California and you speak French? Like, wow, let's do this. So my countries really that I got a lot of traction was New Zealand, Australia, but also Mm. Canada, also um, the Netherlands, also England and Ireland. But my, my like stomping ground with my first, maybe, you know, seven or eight sales came from Australia and New Zealand. Wow. Okay. Wow. I, I used to run ads to those countries, but I never even like, I completely stopped. I just started doing it domestically and I saw my sales increase domestically, but that's crazy. Like, I feel like. Well, one tip crazy. that I would give is if, especially if someone is doing Instagram marketing, Instagram has so many tools in there for you to sell products. Right. Yeah. So what I would recommend is going to the person's page, liking a few of their videos, maybe three, like three videos or like three posts comment on one post of a, a, a nice comment, not fire emojis, right? <laughs> Say like, yeah, oh yeah. my God, 
I, I, I love the way you're killing this rhyme. Then follow up with a DM, right? And you don't have to follow the person. You can if you want to, but I would just send a message. If they responded, then I will follow, right? Then once you get in a DM, you know, I would res- I would send them a message saying something like, hey, listen, I'm a producer from New York. You know, I'm looking to work with some new artists, uh, but I just wanted to let you know, like that line that you said on this song was fire. Once you do that, you've eliminated the idea that you're spamming them. And also you created a connection where it's like, oh, you like like my bars? Make sure, here's another gem, that the person you are reaching out to does not have a huge following. Focus on artists. If you're in, let's say you have 2,000 followers on your page, target artists who have 1,000 or less. If you have 5,000 followers on your page, Target people with two thousand or less. Don't reach out to people who are Drake. Don't don't try this with Drake. Right. I doubt it works. You know what I'm saying? Um, right. And and this is how you close out. You go back and forth with them, right? Before, don't ask them to buy anything. Just keep asking them questions about them and see how long it could go. I usually do two or three, right? And then after that, you hit them with the Do you want free beats? If you're doing a, a funnel, or if you're doing um, if you're doing exclusives like I was at the time, ask them, hey, hey have you ever uh, you know purchased a, or ever got an exclusive beat? Because right there you're qualifying them. Like, yeah, I bought one before. No, I didn't. So either you're gonna have to give them more information, or you can go into sales mode. And when you're ready to ask them to buy, do it on video chat. It's so- preferably in front of a landmark. Like, yo, it's Rob, it's Robin Marks. Like, my my guys, if any of my folks from Australia know, like, I would be in front of the United Nations. Like, yo, I'm just in front of the United Nations. Robin Marks, um, I see you, Johnny. Thank you for, like, it's been really good talking to you this week. I'm here in front of the United Nations. I just thought about it, that we're doing this international connection. Let's make this happen. I hope you pop, cop the beat. Boom. Next minute. Bing. PayPal. So are you doing a video chat or a video message? Video message. Gotcha. Yeah. I think that that's a huge gem. Like I, I would open with, I would open with video messages a lot of times. That's and good I feel too. like, yeah, like I feel like people aren't used to that. So it's, I learned that from Rick Barker, the Taylor Swift's old manager. Um, he yep. would say always open with video because people aren't used to it. And what would you say that, uh, I guess for, this is more for producers, but how do you turn, um, someone that's never bought an exclusive how do you turn that into someone that's buying an exclusive? Let's say for you, Robin Marks, how do you convert that person? Or even someone that just has never even bought a beat lease before, how are you converting that person? Yep. I think for me, it's educating them. I, I, I'm i not in the business of trying to convince a, a, a person who buys leases into being a, um, a an exclusive buyer, you know, someone who buys okay. exclusive beats. So I'm, I, I, I meet my, my community, my customers, you know, the artists that I work with where they are. And as I educate them, they'll they'll make the decision. You know what I'm saying? So it's almost like with me, I look at it kind of like a buffet. I'm never at the buffet like, come get the spare ribs, come get the spare ribs. You know what I'm saying? However, if we have a special deal happening, so like if we have something that's never on the buffet, it's a different light on it, right? It's like, it's somebody cutting it up there. And that's sure, when I sure. do my beat packs. Uh, you know, I'm trying to do at least two to three beat packs a year. And when I do that, the, the, the focus switches totally. But my day-to-day operations, I'm not trying to um, 
push them to a direction of what they want. I'm trying to meet them what they are and serving them what they need. Okay, got you. So would you say that um would you say that producers shouldn't really adopt a pushy sales tactic? I mean, I don't know. It's it's hard because some some artists will, you know, they'll kind of I've I've dealt with this personally, they'll kind of talk to you as if they're about to buy. And then you think you're going to close. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, wait, I don't have enough money. Like, how do you get around obstacles like that? How do you get over like, um, what's it called? Uh, not rejections. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? How do you get over like the, the stumbling blocks? Yeah, the stumbling blocks from uh, artists that are like, oh, I don't know if this is for me. Like, do you not even push that or you kind of just offer more features or more benefits in a sales process? Yep. So that's great. That's a great question. Yeah. I'll start by saying that, that I don't think there's a, a black and white answer for it as different salesmen or saleswomen have different approaches, right? Yeah. For the music producer space, you know, I can only speak to what's been successful for me like, cause I, I know like there are artists who are pushy, like, yo, like you want me yeah. to buy a beat? What I would say is that you want to work with people who want to work with you. You want to sell to people who want to buy from you. If you are, if you're haggling with people over $5 and $2 here, you know, I understand if you're negotiating an exclusive but at 300 to 350, that, that's a reasonable discussion. But like, if yeah. you're talking five bucks here, can you do it for 25 instead of 30? Like, yeah. honestly, you don't want to work with people like that. Now, I know everybody is in their different walks of life and they're in their different seasons of their life. So I can't discount someone going hard to get a sale and that's their primary focus because it might be the difference between them having a bagel for breakfast or not. However, I would say for anybody who's in that position right now where it counts, if you don't get the sale, you don't eat, then you need to recalibrate what you're doing and find a, a, a supplemental income stream. Like you need to go down to Wendy's and ask them if they'll hire you. Do that a few hours so you could fund the other thing. I Okay, so I want to talk about that a little bit. I actually feel like when... And I feel like this has been talked about in a completely wrong light. When you're when you're in the hustle mode, you're desperate as hell. You will literally take anything you can get and you won't negotiate correctly. So meaning like when you're not working that job at Wendy's, you're relying solely on this music income. You're relying on this Internet money. You know what I mean? And you'll literally you'll, you'll make dumb decisions because of how desperate you are. But when you're not in that position, when you got money coming in, don't matter where it's from, you won't you won't sell a beat for twenty five dollars when it's really thirty dollars. You'll be like, OK, I could pass on this this artist that wants to jit me out of five dollars. You know what I mean? And I think that's huge what you just said, like having that's like abundance versus scarcity mentality. Right. It's like you have it because it's actual it's actually in your life, like the abundance of money is in your life. So you act differently and you act accordingly. Um, do you feel what what we're doing the nonprofit? Um, what jobs maybe when you were younger, were you working at like a Wendy's? Were you working at like, I don't know, Papa John's or Burger King to facilitate your music career? Or were you literally just doing show, show, show and getting paid? Nah. 
I was doing music full time. I was doing oh, really? music full time. Okay. Yeah, I did music full time probably uh, from 2002 right up until 2010. You know, Damn. I was on the grind. I lived in France. I lived in Paris for two years. Like I would go to Europe for six months, you know, and then I would come home for a couple of weeks and I'll get my passport stamp and I would go back. So I was living in Europe, essentially. I lived in Spain for four months. I lived in the Netherlands. I lived in wow. um, London, you know, so there were times though where it wasn't sweet. It was times when I had to like reach out to people at home, like, listen, can you send me 50 bucks, you know? Yeah. And there was other times where I was making enough money when I came back to New York, I could put money down in an apartment and like have an apartment in Brooklyn and then go back to Europe, you know what I'm saying? So again, everyone's journey is different. I think what people, like any artist who like is seeking like advice right now, you need to appreciate your journey. Like my middle, right now I would say like I'm in the middle of my producer journey is going to be different than your start. So uh, enjoy your start. Just like Timberland, where Timberland is, I can't look at Timberland and be like, man, I wish, man, God, man, I wish I could get, I wish I had it like Timberland had it. Like, no, I'm looking at it like, wow, look at where I've come from and where I'm going. And like, we really got to just take a step back and enjoy the season of our life that we're in, especially on a creative journey. A creative journey is a brave journey. Like this is not the business people get in when they wanna get rich. It's not, it's, it's hard, it's long, it's lonely. But if you're a true creator, it's so rewarding. And I think that if you can appreciate your journey, you'll be better off for it. Bro, I don't think you, I don't think you understand how much that resonates with me. Cause I didn't really come to a lot of that realization. Like you know, season, the season that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that until like maybe this month, bro. And I've been doing music since 2012, right? So I've been doing music like my whole life, but I really got into producing since 2012. That's like nine years. And it took me nine years to realize, oh shit, we go through cycles and we go through highs and lows. And as a creative, it's fucking lonely as shit. And you might be here today and literally like this happened to me a couple months ago i was here and you know i just went here you know all the way down and it's just a cycle of life and i think creatives got to realize that and what, what, what was the thing that put that into perspective for you like oh shit i'm not tingling like how did that what put that perspective into for you because i know when i was coming up i'm still coming up but like when i was coming up i was like yo i want to be screwed i want to be like you know vici i want to be like you know all these top top dudes and now I'm starting to realize like what you're talking about, but you you had that realization. What was that realization for you? Like, how did you yep. get that perspective? I think for me, it's really just developing a strong self-awareness, like knowing what I can do, knowing, you know, what I'm capable of doing, like understanding okay. your capabilities. Like I'm not a classically trained musician. You know what I'm saying? I can't like bust out the the, the bass guitar and do like a video <laughs> with me playing the bass, right? Yeah. So I think for me, just knowing my strengths, knowing, you know, areas that I need to improve, identifying the areas that is will pre- maybe not be a good fit for me. Like maybe going to learn guitar right now is not the best fit for me, but there are things that I do want to learn that I'm putting as a, you know, a priority. So I think self-awareness is the key. Yeah, man. Self-awareness is huge. Um, what, what are like, so we were talking about this uh, last night, like what are some resources outside of music that you've been using to kind of facilitate creativity or facilitate um good marketing uh from uh, like i'll kind of give an example like for me it's like 
recently it's been Netflix, bro. Like I think I mentioned this last night. Like I just bought a Netflix account and that's kind of like been able to help me like chill out and relax or like the gym, right? Like what are, what are those outlets for you aside from creativity that could help you with your creativity? Yeah, I'm, I'm really blessed where I have, you know, my family, like, like, for example, I was thinking about putting this on Instagram live, but like blowing bubbles with my daughter, like bubbles That's and so beats, dope. like just That's like, so if, like literally like all I would have to do is set up the camera, let people see how awesome this is. I did that before I got on with you for an hour. We Bro, went through so much. We went through so much bubble solution that I went to go get the soap from the dishwasher to make some more. She's just laughing. She's trying to catch them. So for me, I'm blessed. Why I, I just all I have to do is just spend a little bit of time with them to reset and clear my mind. But other things that I do is really try to get books that you know motivate me to get better. So right now I'm reading one called Go Live by this guy named Jerry Gittimore, and it just totally flipped my whole head on live streaming and, um, you know, maybe revamping what I'm doing with my podcast. And like, I'm going to start a live stream, a weekly live stream in March. I'm going to do it every Thursday at 11 PM. I'm going to commit to doing it for the rest of the year, see how it goes just to see if I could continue to, you know, expand my reach to impact and influence people and, and also serve people. What prompted you to do the live stream as opposed to uh, something else like as opposed to I don't know um going live on IG on that same time like what but yep what was so, the catalyst for that that's a great question I I actually started a, a live stream series right at the beginning of the pandemic on Wednesdays on my IG page and it was really good like I, I made some new connections I also gave people the opportunity to see me and connect with me I had some guests on but it just didn't feel like it was um enough return on the investment of time. You know, I was like pulling myself away, going to lock myself downstairs, doing this thing for an hour. I think at the time, you know, Instagram, what you weren't able to like save them to the live. Then I, okay. I mean, to the, to the T to the IGTV, then you yeah. can save them to IGTV. But even then it, you know, I didn't really like the layout and the look, and I wasn't really able to repurpose it the way I wanted to. So the reason I'm doing it this way is because a, I want to get on different platforms. I want to, get on YouTube a little bit. I want to get on Facebook a little bit. I want to get on Twitch a little bit. I know Periscope is going to go out of business soon or they're going to end it soon, but I'm even going to stream on Periscope for a few months. And then also the, the, the idea of repurposing the content um, in those on those channels already and then being able to, uh, I'm, I'm going to launch a new podcast called Robin Marks Live. The whole like just compounded, um, you know, uh, repurposing and I'll just share the cover of the book so folks can see it. I'm just preaching to all my podcasters and all of my creators. If you are into books, go grab it. It's called Go Live by Jerry Gittimore. And it just kind of blew my mind about um, how we can really um, utilize the live streaming platform for growing a business and a community. And I think that it's something that I've been leaving uh, you know, a lot on the table by not doing it. And I'm just going to commit to a year, just like I committed to 18 episodes for my podcast. And I'll reevaluate after that. I always try to set uh, expectations for the audience. So that way, if I do switch, it won't be a, an abrupt, you know, kind of ending. It'll be like a season. I think that is a great way to kind of take things off right now. Um, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on here. 
I feel like commitment is probably the biggest thing that's helped me. And I'm sure it's probably the biggest thing that's helped you, at least in some regard, um, you know, committing to a certain amount of number of seasons, a number of episodes, a number of days you're going to do something and then reevaluating after and not having a plan that's huge, right? Or having a plan is huge. Um, so I, I just wanted to say thank you for uh, dropping that gem. I preach that all the time. Um, if you can, before we head off, because I know you you got to bounce right now and it's coming about that time, just mention where we can follow you on, on uh, our social platforms and um, any last words you want to get in before we close out. Uh, I want to thank you, E. I think that what you're doing with your business is mind-blowing and I tip my hat to you and you're an inspiration to all of us in terms of the journey that you're taking. So I just wanted to you know, make sure I thank you properly, man. You're doing your thing and you are, you, no, I appreciate you, man. And I'm just happy that we've connected on this level. And I look forward to growing, you know, our relationship. Um, in terms of where you can find me, you can get me at, at Robin Marks on Twitter, on Instagram. Um, and also on um, Facebook, you can catch me at R Marks Creations. Um, other than that, if you want to email me, shoot me an email at robin at robinmarks.com. And I'm looking forward to connecting with all of you guys somewhere down the line. Also, oh, you're on the Boise app, right? Or uh, what is it, the Noisy app? Oh, Voicey. Yeah, I'm also on Voicey yeah. as well. That's at Robin Marks of Voicey. And um, also, if you want to check out my podcast, you can check it out at anchor.fm forward slash Voiceygram. That's V-O-I-S-E-Y-G-R-A-M. That's awesome, man. And I just want to say one thing real quick. Like, you've been a huge mentor in a way for me that I don't think you realize. Uh, you have a really good way of articulating your thoughts that I could never. And, you know, you connect a lot of dots for me. So I appreciate you for that, especially on the clubhouses. Uh, guys, don't forget to follow Robin. And he's always on our clubhouse meetings at 8 a.m. Eastern. I'm sorry, Pacific time on Tuesdays. And now he's doing the ones on uh, Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Uh, Pacific time. So go check us out on Clubhouse. And I'll see you guys on the next episode of the Bob Podcast. Peace. Thank you so much, Robin, for coming on. I appreciate the hell out of you, man. Hi, man. All right.